Welcome to episode 15 of the Swift Teacher Podcast. One lesson at a time towards Swift World Domination. Today I'd like to share with you the second part of my conversation with Dr. Nicholas Outram. So I mentioned I was recently at that event for Apple's app development with Swift curriculum, brand new, and then Tim Cook made an announcement about that at Austin Community College and all these community colleges that are going to be teaching it. And I was surprised at how far ahead K-12 teachers were in adopting Swift and our knowledge of it than some of the community college folks. So why do you suppose the number of colleges and universities that offer CS courses in Swift are so few? You know, what are the major obstacles to bringing Swift to more colleges and universities, in your opinion? Right. Where do you want me to start? Um, I, I certainly have a view on this. I don't speak for other universities, of course, so you could argue that much of what I say is anecdotal or my opinion, and I, I can't deny that. Uh, but let's, for what it's worth, there are numerous challenges. I think the first thing you need is some member of staff that really wants to, to, to do it, really wants to support, say, iOS as a platform. It is quite possible to run a mobile app development course with Android. You're not going to have to buy any Macs. The students have probably got PCs already, and if they've got Macs, they can run Windows on it. They, they can even run the development tools on the Mac. Unless you have a clear reason why you want to go iOS, you could run your course on Android, right? And, you know, iOS isn't the only kid on the block. That's the first thing. And my understanding is that that's what most people will do. Of course, it's not just about programming mobile well it is about programming mobile phones but that encompasses many many things user interface design design patterns usability power saving security privacy you know talking to back-end systems in multi-tier uh, applications is what we tend to do so you can do that with either there's an awful lot of stuff there that is common and generic and that's kind of how we've gone so we have kind of the generic stuff which is the back-end server-side support for an application, and then there's the mobile client, and they pick Android or iOS. And we could so easily have just said, in fact, for a while we did, let's just use Android and save ourselves the hassle, to be blunt. But we've got this lab of Macs. I'm a big advocate of iOS and Swift. Um, there are benefits from using both of those, which we've already discussed. I jumped through quite a lot of hoops and, and, and made it happen. But it takes energy and effort um, Macs are often sought after. You've got to get access to them. Now, it's not just about running the classes. You have to assume that if there's only one student that doesn't own their own Mac, then nobody does. They're going to have to work at home. They're going to have to work 30 to 60 hours on a piece of individual or group coursework. It's not just turning up for class, doing some exercises and leaving. So you need quite a lot of access to these devices. So it is access to Macs would be the first barrier, I would say, nearly every time. They have a reputation for being expensive. I know there are arguments for and against that. Nevertheless, if someone sits in a finance department and just sees numbers on a sheet, they'll see, they'll think that the PC is cheaper. All right. So certainly access to Macs is a big one. And if you are going to do it, you need that keen member of staff to push it. And I think that would be very difficult for apple to change that for example why did i go for ios well i, I hope i've kind of covered that 
but it's certainly not the easy path. Uh, I could have gone, just let them get on with Android and gone and done something else. But I didn't because I felt strongly enough that, no, no, they should have the choice. And this is a really great platform, which will teach them lots of things that they may not meet elsewhere. That's really the, the big one. There, You do also get a little bit of resistance, maybe to what some would say is a closed system, relatively speaking. But that's also its strength, right? Yeah, the vertically integrated nature of, of the Mac and the iPhone and uh, iCloud means it pretty much tends to just work okay nothing works 100 percent all the time but it's pretty good these days in particular you fire up xcode you can plug in a phone or you can use a simulator and it just kind of works the installation's really simple maybe that's not true for everything else i know that but i don't know if everybody else does the other thing about having macs is okay you could buy yourself a pile of macs but then you've got to put them somewhere and space can often be uh, the issue because people often you know, fight over space. Real estate is, is, is expensive. You want to put Macs in a space, and then the question will be, well, what else are you going to use them for? All right? Uh, we don't just want to utilize that capital expenditure on these Macs. We also want to utilize the space. So what we've done is we've dual-booted with Windows, and they spend as much time in each environment. They make very nice Windows computers, I have to say. They, they run it very well. So that's what we've done, and so it is a... It is a specialist computing lab. So the gaming students tend to go in there because they're quite high performance graphics. And I'm in there and we make good use of that room. It's fairly booked out. Otherwise, the space could be a real barrier. Yeah. If, if it's just for iOS, one module. Yeah. On, on one subject. Then when you start going down that line, you get the IT department issues. So another barrier is support. Okay, we've only got 25, but that's a surprising amount of work to look after. We're lucky. We have a dedicated technician. Hi, Luke, if you're listening. He's absolutely great. Hey, Luke, we need Xcode upgrading tomorrow, right? Believe it or not, he often does. All right, and I'll, I'll tell you why that happens in a minute, because it does happen. Yeah, it, it happens in my school too. Student rocks up with an update on their phone, and they want to use their phone. Ah, hang on. Xcode won't talk to it. It doesn't know about that version. You've got to update Xcode. Sometimes that means you've got to update to the latest version of Mac OS as well. So you get this chain of dependency, right? And you really need to know that, okay? Everything really should be bang up to date on the latest release version. That would be my view. And you need that agility. Now, that doesn't always happen in a big institution. You know, we have an IT department that manages, I don't know how many computers. It's, I think it's 5,500 Wintel boxes and about 800 Macs, mostly staff machines. Okay. And across those, there are 250 different software packages. So, a reality, right? And there's no getting around it, is that we have to have Microsoft Windows across our fleet, right? There's no, no, no getting around it because we've got specialist software packages that only run on Microsoft Windows, right? We have very few things apart from Xcode that we can say absolutely we can't do without and is on the Mac only. It's a hard sell to get Macs in the first place, right? We have to have Windows to start with. Now, you could say, all right, get Macs and dual boot them. Then you've got to manage dual booted machines. And that isn't as easy as it sounds. If you're centralized like we are, you, you think about it, 5,500 computers spread out over quite a wide area, um, you can't be visiting each of those machines very often. So it has to be centrally managed. And when machines are dual booted, they're in an unknown state that adds an extra level of complexity. Then do your IT staff know about Macs? 
can they support them and get around these things? Um, we're lucky. We have a local technician that does it all for us, but it's very small scale um, and so forth. So, yes, lots of logistical barriers. You even get the odd person that just doesn't like Apple. They don't want to have Apple stuff. They've got some thing about it, whatever. <laughs> it's not for me to say. Uh, we don't get that. But um, certainly then, then there's financing and, and purchasing and the upfront cost of a Mac, which you could always argue you get a lot for your money, but you know you know how people view it. Those are the sorts of things that I see. The fact that you can do it without all that hassle, you take the easy path. So why would academics choose iOS? If your answer would be, well, look at Apple's new teaching materials. Is that something we want to talk about now? I'm talking a very long time. You're very quiet here, Brian. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm letting you share your uh, expertise. I know I, since I'm in K-12, I'm just sitting here almost stunned and I, i've heard this before i was at the jamf nation user conference jnuk a couple of years ago and i ran into a gentleman from my alma mater kent state university and he is the uh, mac it guy and he was describing similarly to what you have and i said well why doesn't kent have more macs and he said virtually the same things you do and i have never had to worry about those kinds of things like well, I have, we have to have dedicated, we can't just have dedicated space. There has to be other students that have to be able to use this because it's K-12 and especially in career tech, it's our labs are used all day by 11th grade and 12th grade students and your overhead and your bureaucracy seems to be way worse and I'm glad I don't have to worry about it. But I understand a little better why somebody at the university post-secondary level may not want to challenge us you really have to be passionate about it and you really because it's it seems like it's a lot of work for you to go through all those jump through all those hoops and what you've gotten accomplished yeah i mean you know there there are some universities that will only do linux because that's the the pure and right way in their view um and they're sometimes saying people that will only use emac we don't think like that uh, the finance one is, is is another biggie you know so there's this this is discussion about you know, are Macs expensive or are they not? If you use all the software that comes with them, you can argue they're not. I use a Mac at home and I use iMovie. I use Preview. I use all the um, I, what you call iWork applications. I love Keynote. It's free. Yeah, it comes with it. Pages, use it all the time. iBooks Author, use it all the time. The command line tools, the Unix tools, they're just there. Xcode. So I get an awful lot out of a out of a vanilla Mac that I would otherwise have to find alternatives for. And then there's the resale cost. Now that's where things get vague, and I don't really know. So I'm hearing things like Apple was, you know, products have a value after three years that schools can get money back and then refresh them. And that brings the total cost of ownership down. I don't have figures or any evidence for that, but that those things are muted. Uh, buyback schemes, that sort of thing. So it, it isn't straightforward on the finance one. But as, as you can already tell, I, I'm making it sound complex. You imagine what I sound like in front of someone who's, to, who's in charge of a budget. You know, it's a hard sell, right? I, I'm, I'm terrible at explaining these things. So, so, and as I said, you know, apart from iBooks author and Xcode, to be honest, everything else I do, if I had to, I prefer not to, I could use Microsoft and Adobe products. So getting that management support and finance and a strong business case and having the passion to do it 
is what it takes. And naturally, therefore, it doesn't happen that often. I can speak to the resale value and does Apple, do Apple products really have value? I actually wrote a blog post. It's the most successful one I've ever written, over 10,000 reads. I'll put the link in the show notes to it. But that's the discussion we're having in the U.S. about Chromebooks and iPads. And when you look at total cost of ownership, you know, my school district with our initial iPad 1 to 1 deployment, we bought uh, iPad Air. And then after two years, we sold them for 160. What we did was uh, we had 16 gig iPad Airs. And after two years, we sold them back to a company, a third party company for $160 a piece. We also had some four-year-old 16 gig iPad 2s that we sold for $90 a piece. So those iPads we had bought for you know $4.99. After four years, we still got $90. So essentially we bought them for $4.10 and then and had them for four years. So that's like $100 a year. The Chromebooks, we did have a cart of Chromebooks and after two years we were told their value was $0 because they, they just don't have any because the, the batteries don't last and they you know some were missing keys and they're made of cheap plastic so i can tell you that most definitely ipads well apple hardware does have residual value okay and that is left left out of the computation i think by some people some of the time also it has a degree of speculation you know as you say it does depend on the condition of the kit at the end of it and until it happens, it's hard to believe sometimes unless someone is going to guarantee them the buyback value or price, which I doubt they will. You can see the frown on the face of the finance administrator saying, just what this person's telling me, or is, uh, is this genuine? So maybe with time, as people do this and we hear real stories and real, real figures, then that will help. Yeah, I will know probably in another year about the Macs as we, when we have our next iPad lease, we're also going to start flipping our Mac labs because we have three, four now. We'll be leasing new iMacs and then flipping the old ones out. I'll have some figures for that in about another eight months to a year. That'll be interesting. So Apple's really pushed really hard with their Everyone Can Code initiative. And in the UK, you have computer science now as a core subject in schools. Do you think that will have an impact on universities? That is a, f a really good question. Um, I'm going to be really annoying and say yes and no. Um, yes, uh, that means that kids will be coming in with prior experience in Swift, which from my personal point of view is a real advantage uh, it's an advantage to everyone else as well because it means they'll have met oo and they'll have met a modern language but as long as one hasn't then we have to work from uh, from the least if you like the, the lowest common denominator you know we don't know how widespread the adoption of ipads will be in schools I haven't seen any figures, and it's not like there isn't any competition. There is. Yeah, there's, there's lots of stuff out there fighting for space. You know, dare we mention Raspberry Pis and Microbits and just PCs. I mean, Swift Playgrounds is a really beautifully constructed product, uh, as are the teaching materials. But I can still see that possibly being a tough sell. I, I, it, you know, it's early days, of course, um, and there's a lot you can do with the iPad. But uh, the, there might be constraints as well, which won't seem so attractive. We would see an impact, if you like, if, if students are coming in with a broader education and, and 
you know, more experience in coding. The way they do it, as I understand it, is they align those courses with the exam boards in the UK, for example, and I'm sure in the States as well. And uh, it is just one of the ways you can tick all the boxes for those courses, but you can still do those courses with Python. No reason why not. So from our point of view, what we need as you know, is students that are well-versed in programming concepts, maybe OO, but mainly the, you know, the, your fundamental programming concepts and structuring and breaking problems down, what, and, and syntactical things like, you know, what's a loop, what's a function, passing parameters, returning results, all that, that basic stuff. That, that's the stuff that you learn with any language and really needs to be solid and intact. Now, at the moment, we're taking people with no programming experience. That, I'm sure, over time will change as this filters through. We're going to have to deal with that issue. Oh, of course, we, we've discussed it. Um, but at the moment, it's A-level points, but not in computer science. They don't have to have a computer science A-level uh, in the UK to do our computer science degree. That, that as I say, may well change. So yes and no, it, 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 could, af it could affect us. Um, the more I think what is more important is they're doing something. We're seeing an absolute explosion out there with code clubs, pie jams, uh, these extracurricular things that are going on, which ex expands beyond computer science in many ways. Of course, all kids are having a go at coding. Hopefully, therefore, more will choose those those courses, or what we call A-levels before university. More of them will come in with those qualifications and do today. So we'll see. Then let me follow up with... Do you see yourself adopting some of the Mac-oriented materials written by Apple? <laughs> That's a very interesting question and very topical. The current situation today with my existing course is I've written all of it. And it kills me doing it. It's such a lot of work for what is one module out of five that I do in a year. Although it's a kind of a passion. That's the only reason I've kept at it is determination, <laughs> sheer big-headed determination. Because the language evolves, so it's slowed down a little bit now. Xcode changes all the time for the better, but it changes. And as you know, I use a lot of video. When it's easier to show, I show. Yeah. Yes. I do screen capture. You've got to do them all again sometimes. And it's draining and exhausting. And in the end, you start slipping behind and other things shout louder that are, you know, business critical. So I've got to a, a point now. I said, look, you know, I can't sustain it. I have no one to help me as such. Not, not permanently anyway, because there aren't that many of us. Yeah. So I am going to cherry pick sections of the materials written by Apple. Now, my understanding is they are primarily at this point in time aimed at schools. That doesn't mean we can't use them. Uh, absolutely not. I believe the Mac orientated one is about 200 hours. That's all of our semester. And I know full well, if I plonk my students down and said, do Apple's course, I'll see you in 13 weeks time. They wouldn't be best pleased. That's the first thing. Um, okay, I'd be in the room helping them. But um, I would say a bit like a MOOC, I would have difficulty keeping them focused and on track. Plus, it will cover things that I really don't need. And there'll be stuff I want to emphasize that's maybe not in there so much. Why? Well, because higher education is very different from schools. Schools have to put their students through exams that are written by exam boards to a published curriculum that is constant for everybody. So Apple can map their and I believe do map their courses onto those curriculums so they, they cover everything. I, is that 
true in the states as well yes yes it is excellent good so i'm not making it up <laughs> no so i know in the i know no, I, I know in the uk that's the case we aren't like in higher education of course we are our own examiners we write our own programs we write our own modules we're all different it's one of the strengths is the diversity but it's also a disadvantage i suppose but you know our computer science course is not the same as the one up the road the likelihood of their curriculum meeting all the learning outcomes of our course is very unlikely uh, certainly the, the chance of apple's curriculum overlapping with all the courses in the, in the uk even let alone the rest of the world it, it's just not real so the best we can hope to do is pick bits of it out so sometimes you hear the expression of reusable learning objects you know little little chunks like a bit of video or um, a section from a book and, and you piece them together to support you what you want to do so my thinking at the moment and i've started this already is to take the real sort of fundamental basic stuff the beginnings and use apple's materials for that because i'm not going to keep making these videos all right it's it's i can't sustain it anymore and then i'll fill in the extra bits that, that i feel i want to, to add on so my course will still meet its requirements i'll use bits of apple's materials quite a bit of my own and, and that's how i'm going to do it and i imagine it would be the same for anybody i haven't spoken to people in other universities about this because there aren't that many doing it i hear what you're saying i have found it even for my own small itunes u course that it's hard to keep up with it sometimes and it's almost like it should be somebody's full-time job at Apple to create these materials. Oh, wait, there is. And um, it is somebody's full-time job or a few somebody's. And they're doing a great job, shout out to Caleb and Chad, in creating these materials. I know last month when we were at the Swift Teacher Faculty Summit, there was somebody asked about, you know, are you going to keep creating materials? And those specifically aimed at higher ed, we got the answer is we hear your feedback and we're working hard which is Apple speak for we understand we need to keep adding stuff. I think that's Apple speak for that. That's my own personal opinion. So I'm, I'm hoping they will keep working hard at it and adding stuff. I think they will, but uh, we'll see. So hopefully, yes, you'll just be able to keep cherry picking and they'll have some things for you sooner rather than later. Yeah, I would also in the same breath say I would fully support that they focus on schools first where the help is, I wouldn't say needed most, but you know, you've got that curriculum to align to. Teachers have been asked to teach computer science at quite short notice and had to, had to learn it. And you know, there, there are plenty of computer science teachers out there that weren't computer science teachers two years ago. Yes. Yeah, yeah I started as a math teacher. It's a big ask. It really is an enormous ask. I, I, and I have no idea what that must have felt like, Brian. Well, I was not asked. I pushed for it. Excellent. It was me motivated and learning and then eventually saying the program I'm teaching in now is mostly just a web development program. And they and they still do a lot of that in, in JavaScript and, and HTML and CSS. I was motivated. I thought our students could leave and actually go to work somewhere with some of the backgrounds or go on to community college or, or university and be employable right away to help pay for college as a some kind of smaller development dev job yeah i hear similar conversations this side of the atlantic as well you know maybe university isn't the automatic path anymore or at least not immediately the other point i suppose i should make is as i see it um it, it's kind of good to play to your own strengths as well and the other bit of background i've got is electronics and, and embedded stuff as i was saying earlier what we're seeing a lot of is this maker community yeah outside of school sometimes in school as well as a club you know your raspberry pies and your arduinos etc and hooking on devices now in that mix i can see the ipad fitting quite nicely it's a beautiful screen it supports bluetooth low energy wi-fi and internet protocols of course currently it's completely missing from that mix but actually it's a re it's got 
even Swift Playgrounds could ne- could mesh really nicely with a, a Bluetooth sensor. I know I've been promising this for ages, but I am in the process of creating a blog article on doing just this. So I take a simple cheap microcontroller with some off-the-shelf Bluetooth sensors, relay weather data in real time, and you can display it and read it from Swift Playgrounds. It isn't actually that difficult. And actually, Apple's APIs are really nicely done, beautifully done, actually. That's an avenue where I'm thinking of pushing this now. So I'm sort of broadening out, not just looking at an iOS device in isolation, but also with server-side Swift for multi-tier stuff, because most things work in, in, in a sort of shared environment these days, uh, but also talking to devices. And the opening up of HomeKit was great news that could really um set something off um, hard to find out a lot about it at the moment i'm looking at where it might run on a raspberry pi and again your ipad is the central device and we communicate in real time with these external peripherals in your home but well, that of course then brings in lots of interesting programming tasks that is a very asynchronous world we're getting into and dealing with asynchronous programming is a big thing for computer science this idea that events are coming in when they want to come in not when you prescribe it yeah even of course touches and drags are are asynchronous events but now we're talking about you know network events and bluetooth and you've got a scale code to manage that this is a really good subject area for for level five second year undergraduate looking at design patterns to to actually take control of of a task like that and not end up with spaghetti code and a total mess that's the way i'm kind of thinking of going now bringing in some of the strengths we've got in our school which is the electronics facilities and prototyping equipment maybe initially focusing on bluetooth the other one i have to say got me very excited this year was ml kit so the idea of bringing in machine learning fantastic and they made a very good point in their talk i mean we could all go off and write these neural network things. I've done it myself. These are incredibly hard to debug. So the only safe way to do it, if you're going to do AI, if you're using these, I don't know if the listeners are familiar with artificial intelligence and neural networks, but they're kind of computer models of very basic neural structures from a brain. They're extremely interesting for complex pattern recognition, whether it be an image or or a trend evolving over time. And, And there are lots of tools out there to sort of train these things like you would train a puppy or you train a toddler if you like um but then to actually plug it in and and implement it if you were to code that yourself it is virtually impossible to debug sometimes because there's no known output apple opening that up means wow we've got quality assured ai libraries here i don't know what people are going to do with this stuff but that's a really interesting area to watch when was the last time you took a look at the Swift Playgrounds app for iPad? About five weeks ago, just yeah, before I went on holiday. Did you see the 1.5 update that included all of those? It was Apple made a big announcement about it and how it's integrating with all the hardware now? Yes, yes. Okay, I'm glad you mentioned that. <laughs> I saw the list of hardware as well. The sort of device I'm talking about costs in UK money about £2.50. So I bought a sensor the other day, measures temperature, pressure and humidity. All I've got to do is solder four pins, wire it up with four wires onto a microcontroller, and I've built myself a weather station. Is that the micro bit? Nope, although it's related to it. Very similar. I use a slightly different one, a more powerful device. But yeah, it's the same family. Using a framework called Embed from ARM, which I can highly recommend. The ARM-based board, the microcontroller, cost £8. I don't know what that is in dollars. Ten dollars? Yeah, about nine. Uh, Nine, yeah, yeah. Okay, and the sensor was about £2.80, right? Now, you could buy 50 of those kits and give them to every student, and they could take them home, and they can go and build their own weather station in the back garden. And they can break it, and it wouldn't matter. Now, a Parrot drone... (laughs) 
<laughs> is a slightly more substantial investment. Um, yes. And once you've flown it, okay, you've flown the drone, you made it go left, right, forwards, backwards. Now what? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm sure people have got more imagine, imagination than I have. Maybe you could build a game out of it. I'm sure there's lots of things you could do programmatically. You know, if you go into the internet of things industry or the embedded systems industry or computing industry out there now, dealing with the sorts of technology they are dealing with the arduino uh, class of device and the embed devices the raspberry pi step up more powerful but more power hungry uh, but again it's small they're very pervasive i forget how many they've shipped now is some incredible figure they're out there and people are using them so these are devices that are very obvious part of this very vibrant community of makers inventors right there are meetups all around the the uk and i know they've got them in the states as well and other parts of the world people get together and they make all sorts of weird stuff you know robotic sharks and yeah you name it people are tremendously creative but they're not using apple kit i notice it's not it doesn't really seem to feature so i'm actually going to start one of these pie jams specifically bring in other technologies so the raspberry pi kind of sits in the middle which allegedly you run swift on these days there are microcontrollers for the sense and control part and the iPad for, you know, talking to servers, rendering, display, you know, visualization, etc. And AI, of course. Who knows where it'll take us? But uh, I'd like to see the whole lot in the mix. So, yes, I have seen that in Swift Playgrounds, but they are kind of bespoke devices. They're not necessarily as affordable as the things I've been talking about. I would welcome a, a broader, more generic range of devices and I'm, I'm hoping that's what we'll see i mean so for example if you take the arduino or the embed platform from arm which i'll give you a link to so you you pick up a device a little sensor device for a, for a few dollars and you can kind of google it and yep someone's written a driver for it and you can just include the library and use it fantastic kids can reuse that code which is quite hard to write in quite detail and build all sorts of stuff that's going on already right, that's happening and it would be nice to see swift playgrounds in that mix I can tell that you uh, come from a more academic setting than where I am because uh, if I got a parrot drone, my students would never go off of that. I mean, they would nearly poop themselves just to be able to have the chance to be able to get into a Swift Playground and, and work with that. So uh, that's probably the difference in the, the age level. Now, on computer science, there are 125 students in that year that I just taught. Um, and then on computing, I, I forget the number. Some of them did the mobile module and some of them did iOS. Then there's final year projects as well. Now, in the final year projects, we've got students building their own drones. So on the electronics and robotics side, that's a common one. These homemade drones start buzzing and you, everyone runs for cover. So it's kind of not enough to just buy one. Certainly on the electronics pathways, that, that's not enough for us as academics either. You know, anyone could buy one and plug it in and control it. Um, no, go and build one. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, you're tooled up to do that and they do. And they're scary. It's to the point we have to make sure they're tethered because, yeah, they, they do all sorts of stuff. Now, the computing students are edging that way. They're getting interested in the electronics, some of them. Um, I actually teach a course where they do embedded systems with computer science students. And some of them really take to the microcontroller world. And I, I can't, we can't afford to give everyone a drone for a start, but we can do stuff with equal cool value from their point of view. And they're a lot older, of course, costing 10, 15 pounds. As someone who may eventually see our students and someone who would then eventually teach computer science to them, what suggestions do you have to a teacher or school district that is considering starting to teach coding or programming with Swift? I mean, it's not my place to tell a school teacher how to do their job, uh, I suppose. Um, so I speak as someone... But what suggestions would you have for us? <laughs> well, for what it's worth, from where I sit, 
it looks like Apple are covering the curriculum and they're meticulously going through that. So you need to check with your exam board that Swift is either a language that they've already adopted because they have to pay people to assess these things quite often and they need to understand what they're looking at or that if you apply for an exemption, they will accept it. That's the first biggie, really. So I know when I looked about, well, it's a bit over a year now, a couple of the UK exam boards, Swift wasn't on there at the time. But that doesn't mean it isn't now. And, but they did also have this clause that, well, if you have other languages, we would it possibly accept it, but you've got to get in contact. So talk to your exam board. That would be one of the, the sort of simple ones. But the other, I suppose, is more general, really, and that is we all want to nurture interest and talent in the STEM subjects. It's not just in the classroom. Maybe extracurricular activities, student-led clubs are, in some ways, a way to really nurture the talent. Because I think if you just stick to the curriculum, there's going to be a bulk of stuff that you know, just isn't that exciting. Adding binary numbers, Turing machines, databases, SQL, that, that's all in there. And it's all good stuff and it's all important and no one's arguing with that. Maybe it doesn't spark the excitement or the creativity that you would hope. Whereas if you run a club like a Pie Jam or a Go Club, could be a Mindstorms-based thing where you can program those as well. Um, students take ownership. They run it themselves to a certain extent, maybe with adult supervision and You'll see some pretty amazing things with time, I would imagine. I mean, you only have to look at what some kids do with a Raspberry Pi and Python. I mean, I can't deny it. It's it's amazing. Um, when we were at WWDC, you and I met there and you talked to the kids that were there. And they've, they've come through all different pathways and they've got these scholarships. Quite a lot started on Scratch. I know we're talking about Apple devices, but really it doesn't matter ultimately what the platform is. If you can't afford iPads, if you haven't got Macs, that doesn't mean you can't do it. Far from it. If you've got a bunch of old PCs kicking around, box full of Raspberry Pis with some curation and some guidance, see what they can do with it. Extracurricular activities, I would say, are a big one. Now, of course, if you do have the money uh, or the approval for the funds for a stack of iPads, um, you need to think about how you're going to support those. Are you going to lend them out so students are in charge of keeping them charged, clean and updated? Or do you have big charging racks and do it yourself and pay for management? Because, of course, it's not just the iPads, is it? There's the cost of the mobile device management package if you go that route. Which is what my school district does. Every kid gets it. They keep them updated or I force them to keep them updated and cleaned. And, yeah, that's that's the route my district has, has chosen. It's not free either, is it? No, but it's you get what you pay for. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It does save an awful lot of time. Yeah. Um, but I suppose, you know, coming back to the point about, yes, you can do it with a pile of pies and, and a Python interpreter. Okay. Yeah. We know that, but, um, you know, it's a question of how much you want to enjoy the journey. Really? The iPad is with, with Swift playgrounds, a nice environment to learn on. It is beautifully put together. The materials are exceptional, really the teaching materials that they've written. If, you, if you've got that uh, luxury to fly business class, then why not? Um, <laughs> if however yeah but if if you if it's mobile apps you're trying to develop however then you're going to need a mac if you want storyboard and all the you know productivity that comes with it because you don't get storyboard with swift playgrounds right you're going to need a mac we and i'm not the only person who's done this you know we've got these lovely big iMacs but i use a, an old mac mini with an ssd in it and it's wonderful so do i it's great 
I'm just really hoping they refresh the Mac Mini. Apple, if you're listening, that's a big hint. Yes, that was a nice discussion we had in uh, in the Swift Teacher Slack channel about how it would be great for Apple engineers to really embrace the Mac Mini as an education, as a tool for education, because a lot of them already have monitors, they have keyboards, they have mice, they just need a box to plug in, you know, a, a less expensive box. Oh, yes. Well, or we could think different. Why not repurpose the Apple TV and stick a keyboard and mouse on it? Swift Playgrounds with a keyboard and mouse. And look at the price of an Apple TV. I mean, it's very affordable. Very affordable device. That would be great. Plug it into your TV. Off you go. Now, you've got Bluetooth on it. You could hook up to all sorts of peripherals and do some very cool and fun and interesting stuff. What it doesn't have is the camera and the sensors, yeah, which are also fun. So it would be a different sort of device. I mean, the joke that now I've used so many times I bore myself saying it is, yeah, we've got a Raspberry Pi. Where's the Apple Pi? Now, the Raspberry Pi, I don't take anything away from it. It's a cost-engineered, well-intended project that has really started a revolution. It's phenomenal, right? The things people do with it, the places they put it, hot air balloons taking photos of the sky, note flat earthers that the earth looked round to me, at least, unless it's a conspiracy. Amazing. However, anyone that's used one in an educational context will know that it requires a certain level of expertise. Let's say it that way. Quite a significant level of expertise, in fact. Um, they're not trivial to set up. And you haven't got the slick interface, arguably, that you get with iOS. So many, many Raspberry Pis, I suspect, are becoming excellent dust collectors which is a shame. There is an opportunity there either to put something on the Raspberry Pi, you know, because it's a fixed platform for three years, um, that, that, that is, uh, shall we say, a more curated experience for educators or produce an Apple Pi then <laughs> as a competitor. I, I don't know. I, I just think that, you know, the, the Raspberry Pi, I don't want to talk it down. I really, really don't want to do that because in the right hands, it's incredibly flexible and open. You can do so many things with it if you know how. One of the things you get with, say, uh, Swift Playgrounds is this an awful lot of help, you know, from it's a very controlled uh, curated experience, which works well in, in, in a classroom environment, should we say, and uh, probably more suited for many teachers than, say, just a stack of Raspberry Pis out on the desk. The sheer cabling alone is difficult with Raspberry Pi. There is a space there. Mac Mini, yes, I'd love to see it refreshed or something that fills the same void the low, the entry level affordable device that is programmable, has a keyboard and mouse for productivity and is a great learning platform to learn to code and do cool stuff. Whatever that looks like, whatever that's made from, I don't really care. It could be a, a Mac mini with an SSD and a bumped up spec. Still a fair investment, but I think um, it could be an even cheaper entry that would be very desirable, that would separate itself from the others as being that much more seamless, that more you know, ready to go as an educational tool out of the box, which the Raspberry Pi, I'll be honest, isn't as much as I love it. We are seeing this around the world, actually, with uh, what you mentioned about all the materials that Apple produces. In uh, episode 11, I interviewed uh, Carlos Garcia Garcia from Spain, and he went from zero coding and computer science to now he's creating his own playground book, Swift Playgrounds, in nine months. So, and he's really creating some really great stuff with and using buttons and creating an interface in the Swift Playgrounds app for games for stuff he makes. So it's yeah, that's it's a really powerful point you made. 
Dr. Outram, do you have any podcasts or other materials you enjoy that you might recommend to our listeners? Um, well, there's the obvious one, which is the Swift blog uh, itself, which uh, you've got the link for, I'm sure, which um, gets updated from time to time. And it is definitely worth a visit periodically just to see what's new and what's going around. Of course, there is this podcast. Right, so I subscribe to your podcast and thank you. My Saturday morning walk down to get some bread. This is one of the ones I listen to. Um, it is now anyway. Um, but a particular favorite of mine is I try and pronounce her name correctly is Erica Sadoon. I think that's right. Yeah, she's great. She is. I, I really like I like the stuff she writes and says. Very entertaining speaker, obviously extremely bright, has been in this, this sphere longer than you and I, I believe. Another good one but it's more advanced i would say is the swift coders podcast short and sweet what you find when you listen to that is you end up writing down a bunch of stuff as quick as possible because they seem to cover all these really interesting things you think oh i'd like to know more about that i'd like to know more about that and, but but they, it's there to, to re-listen to if you want so they're the ones i listen to i mean there's only so much time i have my own blog as well but uh, it's let's just say um, when i have something to say on it something new, I'll let you know. Well, and that leads to my last question. Where can people find you or your work online? There's my existing iTunes U course, which you've already mentioned, which at the moment doesn't seem to be doing very much. And there's a reason for that. And that is because I'm having a, a major rethink uh, about reuse of materials and adding a value myself. So expect that to change radically. But at the moment, it's there. It's, it's designed for people who have done programming before, object-oriented programming, and want to pick up iOS, which is an undergraduate student, typically. Uh, I'm on Twitter, uh, at enutrum underscore AT underscore UOP. I'm on the Swift Teachers Slack channel, always happy to chat on there. And, and I have a couple of blogs, which I confess are a little neglected at the moment, but expect activity on them fairly soon over this year anyway. Um, there's my official university blog, which is blogs.plymouth.ac.uk slash ios development and then there's my personal blog which will include wider topics such as embedded etc or just stuff and that's weblog.utrum.org okay but as i say the blogs are being restructured at the moment and but the, the, that's something i certainly intend to put more time into now because it's something i can reuse over and over again all right well you can find the show notes for this two-part episode over at swiftteacher.org slash podcast or in your podcast player of choice. Remember, you can reach out to all of us that are on the Swift Teacher Slack team and ask us a question by joining the Swift Teacher Slack team, and I'll have a link to in the show notes for that. Or you can simply just go to swiftteacher.me, and that's, that will get you to the sign-up link for the Swift Teacher Slack team. So you can ask your question there, or you can ask it by sending a tweet with the hashtag AskSwiftTeacher to at underscore SwiftTeacher on Twitter. Dr. Outram, thank you for being so generous with your time and chatting with us. And I really appreciate uh, all the wisdom you've imparted today. Well, I don't know if it's much wisdom, but always a pleasure, Brian. Thanks so much. Cheers. Take care. Time to get Swifty. 